welcome to Think Big with Dan and Kasim. And our guest today is PJ. PJ, if you can just tell us what you do and where you live. Sure. Um, I, I actually live in Oxnard, California, um, and I work in Camarillo, California. It's about a 20-minute drive. Um, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of ModVans. We're a, um, a vehicle manufacturer. We build uh, modular and modern vehicles that have uh, camping features. You awesome. can see it in my little background here, the three different models that we offer. That's really cool. So I guess, what like, how did you get your job? Like, how did you start, you know, being an entrepreneur doing like, what you're doing right now? So I worked my way through college uh, programming. So that's a... a, a my dad, um, actually, um, to kind of brag on him a little bit, he became a programmer when it wasn't a career. He he got a degree in math, and there was actually no jobs for people with uh, just an undergraduate degree in math. And so Lockheed, uh, who's now Boeing, whatever, this giant conglomerate now, um, would hire math majors and teach them how to program. So he became uh, the first programmer in, in our family tree. Um, and then when uh, he, when the Apple II came out, uh, you guys don't even probably remember that computer. <laughs> had uh, you know, actually he, he was kind of a tech geek a little bit, and so he bought one for us, and and I took it home and put it in our basement, and I started trying to write video games. So that's how I got into programming. Um, and then um, you know, since that time, I've just always been involved in startups. In the beginning, it was startups. Actually, my dad before they had the word startups, he was an entrepreneur as well. Um, he had a couple of different software companies. So I worked my way through college working at his software companies uh, in the 80s. He and I started a software company that's still going today. It's called 3C Software. <laughs> um, yeah, so the original startup before they were startups. And, and after that, um, I have worked in a, a, a long series of different kinds of startups, uh, always relatively small companies, um, you know, many of which sold out, exited, um, and that uh, entrepreneur journey um, eventually led me to California. I grew up in, in Georgia and working for um, a network security startup uh, that sold out to private equity. We had an exit event. And uh, and after that, I was looking for things to do. And that's how I ended up getting started at ModVans. Uh, specifically how I got my role at ModVans was I, I was, you know, kind of the, the founder, the person who actually started. Um, my wife is now my uh, co-founder. She's the COO of ModVans. Uh, Lori is her name, and um, and she joined me not too long after. It took a little convincing. I had to convince her for about six months that this was going to be a real deal. But uh, six months in, she, she decided to join on, and I consider her my co-founder. Great, uh, cool. In fact, uh, that is more interesting for me because I'm the first programmer of my family. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So good you job. have a long that's, history. That's a great career path. So yeah, I think you did a good job in uh, you know helping your family. Yeah. yeah, get on a good path. My my dad was also math math teacher, but uh, his education was about um, uh, the mechanical engineering, and yep. uh, but he was a math teacher, but was he wasn't a programmer at all, and he didn't knew what I do. So <laughs> I'm the very first person. Even today, uh, people my... are like they you know they have this idea of what programming is, but I don't think they really understand that it mostly yeah. involves pushing little blocks of text around. Or as yeah, uh, my does. buddy George was like, oh, we just copy and paste from Google. That's all programmers do. <laughs> <laughs> Stack overflow in Google, right? <laughs> maybe uh, maybe this could be uh, something easier for them to understand. But yeah, people don't know what we do. In fact, none of from a family, other than my elder brother, none of our family knows what I do. 
they just do okay he do something with the programming he is doing something on the computer something sophisticated but we don't know <laughs> and don't care <laughs> yeah yeah i actually asked my wife uh, so we were kind of joking about this is related to this is <clears throat> i told her i was going to do a podcast today and she was like oh yeah that's interesting i was like well have you listened to any of the other podcasts that i was on a guest on and she's like no so, <laughs> okay she might she, she might see this podcast <laughs> that's okay yeah she understands so, my sense of humor <laughs> <laughs> yeah so by the way uh, a little bit more about uh, about your uh, software development career uh, now you have a firm i believe for software development as well um say that again a firm do you have a do you have a firm uh, for the software development as well like do you have a software a software host i guess i don't understand the question no no, no so he's so basically cuz you said that you have also you know besides your current company you're running a software development agency at oh, the same no, time no no i'm sorry if i if i said that or that was no. i said i'm 100,000% modvans yeah 120% i'm unreasonable amount of times devoted to modvans right now i i exited um a startup a previous startup that i worked for um that sold out to private equity and um and then i i used that you know the money and the time that i had as opportunity to start modvans so yeah but i don't have anything else going on right now now modvans does have a huge uh programming uh component to it and we're trying to increase that component right now we have uh including myself three software engineers and so uh you know we've tackled at different parts the very first software programming uh was our website so our website is how we get all our orders so all our orders you know speaking of e-commerce come online from our website and we actually um, I wrote the original website, and then I've had different developers come in. Um, some of my buddies from my previous career, um, some people that I've hired to help me here at Modvans to help me, um, you know, enhance and maintain that. So that was the first big programming project at Modvans. Um, and then the the next really big one was um, uh, we have what we call our X series, and the X series first of all, starts with this giant battery. It's the biggest battery available in, in, the, in, in the camping van, in this van camper world. We, we have our, van, our batteries over twice as big as anybody else's, uh, including these giant manufacturers that wish they could have a big, such a big battery. Um, and the way we did it was by uh, building it into a one-inch layer of the floor. So the whole floor is a battery, and that allows us to have this giant battery, but it takes almost no space inside the vehicle. So it's very unique. And then when we built that um, battery, I decided to investigate battery management systems called BMSs. And one of the things I realized was that the best ones out there were basically just, you know, uh, computers that were hooked to some sensors and they could turn the battery on and off. And I was like, well, I could do that. That, that doesn't sound so hard. And so that kind of entered the door for me to do hardware programming. And now in our X series, um, we actually have a, a computer based uh, custom circuit boards. We actually have three circuit boards, firmware running on all those circuit boards and an app. And that allows our customers to be able to manage and control everything inside the vehicle. So the lights that turn on, you can see some of these lights, the awning that comes in and out, the pop-up tops that go up and down, the heating, the, you know, even the plumbing system, it's all controlled, uh, computer controlled with software that was written by, you know, myself and, and the programmers that have helped me out at Modvan. So that's my, my second big programming project at Modvans. And now we're kind of entering the third, which is as we try to scale up manufacturing, we're discovering that we need tools to help us manage the actual manufacturing and that the off the shelf programs that we've 
purchased and used and are using now aren't quite getting some of the needs met that we have. And so we're in the process of writing our own, you know, manufacturing management software, not, not a complete thing. You know, there's certainly great pieces, accounting software pieces that we can buy off the shelf and use, you know, which makes the most sense. Um, but then there's some pieces that we're, we're having to build in house. So we're in the process of doing that. So that'll be the, the third big programming project. And then after that, I'm sure there's more fun, fun and exciting <laughs> programming things that we can uh, do at ModBands. Uh, Cause uh, you know, literally if I can build something in software rather than building it in the, the real world, a lot of advantages, you know, more flexible, easier to scale, that kind of stuff. So the more, the more functionality we can push into software, the better for, for us, even though we, we are ultimately a manufacturer. So in terms of that manufacturing software, you mentioned that's been a pain point for you. So that pain point again would solve is making it a better system of getting in raw materials to build the mob mats. Is that correct? Yeah, that would be a great way. And also to manage the conversion of raw materials into <laughs> recreational vehicles, right? So, um, so yeah, I'll just give you an example that I think you guys will be able to relate to. So much of <clears throat> online usage has go, gone into tablets and mobile devices. And so <clears throat> we implemented this manufacturing system and, and we gave everybody on the floor a tablet. And so um, we kind of had two purposes. One was to share uh, documentation about how to do things. You know, some people call it standard operating procedures, standard build procedures, uh, you know, like literally photos, videos, text that, you know, describe, you know, this is the tool you need. These are the fasteners you need. This is how this component should be uh, assembled into the vehicle. Um, so, so, so that's actually been a win. We, we were able to do that. We, we did it with tablets that worked pretty well. But then also there's this idea of like, let's create a manufacturing plan you know, we're going to build these 10 vehicles this month. Um, like you said, what are the materials? But then also, you know, what's the plan of the steps, you know, of how these materials get converted into this RV and whose job is it? Okay, we figured out whose job it is. Now let's present that to him, you know, on a tablet, like what the plan is and let him go down the list of steps and, and you know, inform the computer system of his progress so that we can continue to manage and adjust the plans as necessary. So one of the things uh, we discovered right off the bat is like the tool that we had adopted, even though it claimed to have an easy to use tablet oriented interface, it, in practice, it's, it doesn't work very well on the tablet. So um, so one of the things we've kind of been doing is as uh, we've been switching some, some users over to laptops, which is kind of funny to me, but yeah, the, the tablet thing is just not working that great out in the, on the floor. And then the level of detail is just not quite right for our teams. So, uh, so, so those are some examples of, of pain points where, um, you know, it, it just is not the, the, the tools that we've adopted, they at least need some customization, like just using them out of the box wasn't, wasn't enough for us. So are mob vans fully electric vehicles or do they have any gas component? Yeah, so we do. So we have, um, you know, mod vans from the very beginning when I, when, when, when we launched it in uh, late 2017, 2018, at that time, it was obvious to me, at least, uh, that electric vehicles were the way of the future. So um, uh, I don't think the world really had kind of caught up with Tesla's vision yet, um, but it was obvious to me. And I had driven uh, Teslas and I could just, they're better vehicles. You know, they drive better. Uh, the software experience is amazing. On every level, that was a better vehicle. The only thing that you could even want to complain about was the weight and the range. And uh, and it was obvious to me that the range was enough and that charging at home was the main, you know, I mean, I think about how I use my vehicles. Of course, you know, I do go camping and I need, you know, I need some kind of range to go where I go camping. 
But the rest of the week, you know, I'm driving back and forth to work and I can just charge at home. So to me, it was just like logical. And so when I started ModVans, um, I always had the vision that this would eventually become an electric vehicle company. And so, but what's happened is, um, you know, the, the, the progress is, you know, like, so right now we're what we call a second stage vehicle manufacturer where we take a chassis, um, we buy those chassis from Ford, their vans, and then we convert them into an electric vehicle. And that's the second stage, um, or, or not electric vehicle, a camping vehicle. And then, um, and then what I want to do is I want to do the same thing with electric vehicles. I don't want to build the chassis. I want to buy the chassis and then I want to convert it into an electric vehicle and then sell it online, just like we do today. And, and this kind of comes back to, um, you know, the, the idea in my mind of kind of e-commerce, you know, what, what is ModVans really good at? Are we great at the engineering that's required for electric motors and batteries and, and inverters and power systems? And, or, you know, you know, are we better at the part where we figure out what consumers want and we figure out the best way to get that to them, um, you know, including the sales process, which, you know, right now is buying online. You know, we've sold every one of our vehicles, uh, we have over 160 driving around. They've all been sold with an online order. So um, so anyway, the answer, my answer, when I look inside, you know, my 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 capabilities, my team's capabilities, I was like, we're really good at that last part, but not so good at that chassis part. And so I think it makes sense for us to buy a chassis and convert it into uh, a, a fully electric camping van. The The challenge for us right now is there's no chassis that are available that meet the price and range requirements. And that's okay. So what we decided to do was to use these vehicles behind us are all gas powered. So the the the, the motive power is gasoline, but our conversion is 100% electric, at least in the X series. So we have uh, you know electric heating, electric cooling, all those things. And we see this as a stepping stone to kind of do two things, uh, prove that consumers are very interested in this, which I think we have, you know, we have, uh, we always have a backlog of orders. Um, and then also demonstrate that we have the ability to manufacture and deliver these systems at a price that, you know, it could be profitable. And that, you know, once we've demonstrated that, that I think it's a pretty obvious step that we could transfer what we have now onto an electric chassis when they become available. And, and meet that demand as it as it builds in the marketplace. That's exciting. So I guess as of right now, what does the customer experience look like for somebody from the time that they go to your websites when they buy? Do do you have a like a storefront or do you guys come to the customer? Like what does that look like? Yes. So right now um, we're operating off of what we call an order backlog. What that means, uh, you know, in the manufacturing world, that has certain means. But what it means really is that we have more orders than we can fulfill in a reasonable amount of time. So the the order backlog, the number of orders that are awaiting production, is you know growing or whatever. It, it's it's longer than what we could reasonably you know we can't build them in a month. You know we can't build them in two months. How you know. What I would say is generally it's for Modvan's history, it's been about an 18 month backlog because what happens is uh, as that backlog gets longer, fewer consumers are willing to get on the end of it. And and part of that is because we ask for a significant deposit, you know, not huge, but you have to put a few thousand dollars down. And so the number of people that are willing to put, let's say, three or four thousand dollars down and wait longer than 18 months turns out to be a pretty small number of people. Order backlog are kind of naturally builds out to 18 months for us anyway and kind of holds out there. But yeah, in terms of like the backlog, right? So I, I mean, like that makes sense to me. But I guess, I mean, can somebody, somebody wants a like a test drive, or if somebody buys it, do you guys deliver, or do they like how like what would that like for example sure, sure. like yeah. I, I live in Texas, right? So if I from Dallas 
want to buy the car from California, what would that look like? Yeah. So, so today what that would look like is you might contact us and you'd be like, well, I'd say really have to divide it into two kinds of people. Right. And this is like all online. This is actually a great thing for e-commerce. Like you have to kind of think about your audience and how they, how they work out. There's two kinds of people. There's one kind of person. And I would say they're the engineer at heart. They're willing to watch the videos. They're willing to read all the stuff online. They're willing to kind of get on the Facebook groups and explore things. And they can make a decision without seeing one in person. That person could actually just go through that whole process and actually order a vehicle online. At that point, um, we are going to eventually send them an, a personal email, but they could get all the way through the ordering process. You know, they'd have an estimated delivery date. They'd have their price. They'd already make their deposit. And then, you know, um, you know, our salesperson would probably reach out to them, but there's no hurry for that person. And then, you know, as we actually have a long checklist, um, as their order gets closer, we'll start contacting them more and more to see if they need financing and those kind of things. Then eventually we would, you know, get to the point where we would contact the customer and say, hey, your vehicle is entering production. Let's make sure we have payment arranged. And then you can decide, do you want to come take delivery here at our factory in Camarillo, California? Or do you want us to ship it to you? So we we do offer shipping. It's not included in the price, but we will arrange shipping as well. And these vehicles can be transported. So yeah, so so that's kind of like you know scenario one would be that customer who um, you know is just willing to make up his mind. Then we have kind of scenario two, which is somebody who's like, I can't imagine buying a hundred or two hundred thousand dollar vehicle without actually sitting in it and seeing it in person. So for that person, we have a variety of different ways that they can arrange that. They can come to our factory in Camarillo, California, and you know, LA, we're in basically the metro LA area, and that's the biggest camper van market on earth, as far as I know. There's 30 million people in this area, and most of them know what a camper van is, and most of them probably want one. So, uh, so we do have a lot of local customers. Um, for customers that are further away, they could come visit us if they're in LA for, for other reasons or California. Um, and then we attend shows, so we attend um, this year, we'll probably attend about 12 shows total all over the U.S., not as many on the East Coast, uh, definitely uh, up and down. You know, the one area that's super weakness is Texas. So none of the shows that we have are, are in Texas. The closest they get is Flagstaff, Arizona. So um, so and we actually have a, quite a little customer base in uh, in uh, Austin area. So um, so we're planning to actually uh, stop in a couple places on our way out to some East Coast shows and just kind of have our own little show. So you can watch for that. Um, we are planning to uh, uh, start announcing that on the website and just tell people. And what we'll probably do is something pretty simple. We'll probably meet up in like an REI parking lot. You know, we'll just be there for the whole day and, you know, we'll invite people to come see us. Um, another way that people can see our vans before they... Um, uh, uh, purchase one, you know, make that big decision is to try to get in contact with a, with a, a ModVans customer. So we do have customers all over the U.S. We do have customers in Austin, Texas. Um, right now, the way we try to arrange that is for them to come into our Facebook owners group and request a demo. That's the simplest thing for us. As we get bigger and that, and that's kind of coming back to my point about the order backlog, as we need to generate more sales, um, one of the ideas that we have is what we call our Vanbassador program. And, uh, and this idea would be that um, any customer or potential customer could agree to give demos in exchange for, you know, registering to our system and they, they would get paid for that service. So they would be a, a paid van ambassador. And so, for example, if you owned a mod vans and you lived in Austin, Texas, and you were willing to give demos and you're like, hey, I, I, don't, I, want, I want this van for free. You know, how can I get it for free? Well, you could sign up to be a van ambassador 
And, you know, depending on how willing you were to give demos and how much, many requests there were for demos, you could give enough that, you know, you could actually make that, make a monthly payment, for example, uh, on the mod vans and basically have it for free and talk to people about your cool van, you know, a few times a week. That is amazing. That's a genius idea. And by the way, I'll tell you that in Texas right now in the summertime, it's so hot. Everybody's <laughs> gone. We like, so I can tell you that so many people could use mob vans. Like so many people here that they go to like Utah or Colorado in the summertime and they could use a mob van to go all, go, you know, up yeah. north and escape from the Texas heat. So nice to drive straight up. So I have a friend who, um, he, he, we grew up together in um, Georgia, but he eventually moved to the Austin area. And so that's what he does. He drives straight up to Colorado, Arkansas, another place that he goes to. So. <laughs> So do you have any interest from folks that are international, like outside the U.S.? We do. So one of the interesting things, um, you know, about that question is that, um, and most U.S. consumers wouldn't realize this, is the European market for camper vans is is very, it's big and thriving. I tell people all the time, I would have never started mod vans if I was in Europe. It's way too competitive. There was already plenty of people building vehicles with pop-up tops, all different sizes. They actually make a lot of smaller vehicles that we don't make. Um, and I think this is kind of a different in culture, uh, difference in culture where actually there's like a, a um, an overlap. And I'm going to give you some examples. So in Europe, they traditionally did not offer uh, long-term financing for homes. You couldn't get a 30-year mortgage. That didn't exist. But that's changing. So now, you know, Europe is adopting our evil ways, some may say, to, you know, where they're willing to take on consumer uh, financing for, for things like homes and offer these long terms with relatively low down payments. And, I, you know, just to give you an example, my one of my good friends uh, from Helsinki, when they bought their first, they call it apartment, but it'd be a condo here uh, in Helsinki, they put 50% down and had a 10-year loan. So, you know, that's how they normally borrowed before, uh, you know, they saw what was happening in the U.S., and so, uh, so, so, so there's that bleed over, not just Levi jeans. There's also the financing structure that is going towards Europe. And then the opposite is happening, I think, over here for certain things. So in Europe, there is an emphasis, a higher emphasis on quality, uh, uh, local, you know, being made locally. And so a lot of the camper van manufacturers are small, smaller, medium-sized companies that have been around for generations that, you know, the, the parents, you know, whatever the grandparents started. Uh, and then, uh, and then also, uh, you know, willingness to trade off those things for a smaller, whatever it is, it could be a home, it could be a vehicle. In this case, we're talking about camper vans, but they're willing to get something that's a little smaller, uh, pay a little extra for quality. And I, and I see that influence in the U.S. happening. So I'll just give you an example is um, I think, uh, you know, some of the rise in gourmet coffee, you know, I'm sitting here drinking my, 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 my coffee here. Uh, you know, is is driven by that. Like people are willing to pay a little more to get better quality <laughs> coffee. You know, they're not just willing to take whatever the, you know, the the, the cheap coffee is. They they want to pay a little more to get better coffee. And so that's a, 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 a net influence that's happening, I think, both ways. And so <clears throat> anyway, so they have a, this big camper van culture in Europe. And uh, but what's interesting is we have innovated beyond what anything is available in Europe. So we have like the, the insides of our vans are fully modular. So you can actually take the seats in and out. You can reconfigure them in a lot of different ways. And that's even with it being a full RV with big water tanks, giant batteries, all this stuff. We figured out how to can re retain the modular features. At the same time, we built this you know massive battery and electronic control systems. And I don't know of any uh, vendor in Europe that has those features. And so in the pop-up tops, we build are pretty unique. So we do get a lot of inquiries from all over the world. I mean, Asia, Australia. I was just chatting with a guy from Australia the other day. 
But you know, Modvans is still uh, basically a startup, and it doesn't make sense for us to, I think, focus in other areas of the of the world, uh, you know, and, until we've conquered the U.S., you know, and grown as fast as much as we can here. So, uh, by the way, when Dan, when I will be going to visit uh, USA, we will go California, and hopefully, PJ will be giving us a priority booking, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. <laughs> uh, thank you it's nice of you and daniel there's another again uh like nothing is planned but again see another black shirt <laughs> oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah we always like oh, coordinated somehow <laughs> so we do have actually so our show shirts this year are orange so they're nice bright orange but uh, i didn't have a clean oh, yeah. this morning to be honest so, so you got the oh, yeah. so Invec- part, of, part of the team <laughs> in fact it, it was giving me a uh, a sense like in uh, many people in our podcast was were wearing black shirt and uh, coincidentally we were also wearing black shirt so it was giving me a uh, a feel like maybe entrepreneurs wear black color <laughs> I'm, a, I'm, I'm definitely <laughs> wearing my orange like... shirt in the future for any more podcasts <laughs> I don't, I don't want to be pigeonholed there in that box <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah good good so Thank just you. to yeah so just to wrap it I up my, uh, oh, oh nice okay cool <laughs> So just to wrap it up, what advice would you give to somebody that wants to be an entrepreneur, that wants to be in your shoes one day, hey, somebody who's in high school or college right now, to kind of make that leap, what you did with, with uh, Mild Vans? Mm, high school or college? Ooh, that's tricky. Uh, so high school, definitely finish high school. There's a, so many things you can't do without that high school degree. You got to learn how to read and write. Um, you know, now that we're computerized so much, it, it's kind of weird because you have these AIs that are writing now, but um, you got to learn how to type. You got to learn how to read and write. You really need to do some basic math because there's a lot of things in, in the world that you just can't survive on. We were just talking about like investment opportunities. And, you know, if you want to invest and in, make any kind of investment, whether it's real estate, um, you know, or just a, a savings account, if you don't understand the basic math of how interest works and how compound interest works, if you can't communicate on that level, you're always going to be at a huge disadvantage um, to, to those that can. So you, there's some basic skills that you just got to finish. And that means you got to finish high school. It probably means you have to finish college as much as I hate to admit that in some ways. I would say, you know, before you uh, get wrapped up in, in big college debt, <clears throat> take a hard look if that debt is going to pay for itself over time. And I'll give you some examples. If you're, you know, if you're going to college and you're like, hey, you know, I don't really know what I want to be when I grow up, but I love this major. And it could be geology. I, you know, it could be whatever, you know. So I don't want to pick on a major because you'll always get in trouble for that. If you're taking on a big debt load and you don't have a career path in mind that's going to pay that off, I think that's a big mistake. I think it's going to, you know, it's really going to force your hand and it's going to prevent you from being an entrepreneur. So let's say you get out of college, you have that degree and you have a big debt load. Now you you just got to get a job to pay it off. And that's going to cut into the time that you can, you know, do uh, use your flexibility. It's going to cut into your flexibility. So my, my advice in college would be, you know, get an education, learn math, learn computer programming for God's sakes. Um, please, uh, you know, you know, you give yourself some tech background if if you can handle it. There's lots of jobs in tech that don't require math and programming, so that's okay. You don't have to if it's not your thing, but if you can, you know, do that. Um, you know, get that education. Don't 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 bail on it too early, but uh, but don't burden yourself. That'd be my suggestion. Unless you have a particular thing, you know, if you know for sure you want to go enter, let's say, the financial world, then you need to go to an Ivy League school so you can get those connections. 
Um, if you really want to get into startups and you can do it, uh, you go to Stanford or UC Berkeley. You're going to exit with all the connections that you need. Um, and it's going to make your life a lot easier. But not everybody can get into Stanford. Not everybody's planned their life well enough to get into Stanford or UC Berkeley and or have the other things that they need to get into those kind of schools that build those connections. So if you can't do that, don't don't exit with a big burden. Then once you're ready to get serious about your entrepreneurial journey, read The Lean Startup by Eric Rice. I don't get paid for this. <laughs> I don't have a referral link for Amazon. Um, read that book and really internalize it. This is my advice. And this is based on, you know, whatever, 30 years of being entrepreneur and learning the school of hard knocks. Um, you know, you're going to save yourself a lot by learning what a minimum viable product is, um, you know, how to build that and how to focus on marketing first and product second. It's so hard, especially for like myself. I want to build things. I'm an engineer. I love to build things and I'm smart. So I think I know what people want, but that's actually a huge fallacy. I don't. I'm not your average consumer. And this is a problem. And it's really good in a way that I'm not an average consumer because it forces me to, you know, examine that part and to realize that, you know, I'm not going to be able to think the way that a normal person does. And, you know, when we come back to e-commerce, you know, how, how, how does a person, what are they thinking about when they're sitting there looking at, you know, buying a $200,000 camper van and <laughs> clicking that button? You know, I'm not the best person to judge because I'm not an average consumer. I'm one of those that could make up his mind without having to see it in person. So, so um, you know, focusing on the marketing first forces that issue to the head. If you can't market it, if you can't build interest in sales, um, there's no point in building that product. And, and that's where, you know, it's just like, I, I've seen it happen so many times in the past where people built products and they couldn't sell them. And, you know, they poured their, their, their entrepreneurial spirit into something that wasn't going to take off. And that's a sad thing because you know what? That makes it less likely that that person is going to continue on that entrepreneurial journey because they had that disappointment up front. So even, even though it's super tempting to, to focus on uh, engineering and building products and getting your patents in line and all this kind of things that people encourage you to, uh, I'd say read the Lean Startup and just try to internalize those those lessons. That'd be my my first step. Uh, after that, um, you know, there's a lot of things. There's there's information about funding. How do you, how do you fund things? Is that required? You know, like there's entrepreneurial journeys that do not require funding. Uh, there's entrepreneurial journeys that will uh, that would require funding, but you'll never be able to get funding. So there's you know there's different things like that. But I would say those are kind of advanced. You you start off with the Lean Startup and you're you're going to be, you know, at least, you know, come up with a, a product that is in the beginnings of product market fit. So, and, and just as an example, you know, I internalized that. I've been reading that. When I started ModVans, I refused to make any kind of real serious business commitment until I had um, orders, signed orders with deposits, significant deposits for five vehicles. That was my kind of, I was like, I'm not going to do it until I figure that out. And so it forced me to, to figure out the marketing puzzle first. So we were kind of talking about like meeting people. And that's what I did. I didn't have a, even a factory. I just had a van that I had built for myself. And so what I did was I put ads on Craigslist, $5 ads is my secret to the world. <laughs> if, you, if you want to start a competitive business. <laughs> and then I would, when people called, I would meet them in REI parking lots. That's actually what I mostly did. Those meet people in REI parking lots. And out of that process, um, I eventually got actually 10 orders with deposits. And then after 10, I had to stop taking orders because I was like, oh my God, I don't really know exactly. I have my spreadsheet that says how much it costs to make this thing, but I wasn't that confident in my spreadsheet that I could 
uh, continue past 10. So, so I, I stopped taking orders at 10. We kind of hunkered down and built 10 vehicles and delivered them to customers. And, um, and it's been an interesting uh, way to build a, a manufacturing company starting that way. No, that's amazing. It's very great insights. And I do love that book, by the way, Lean Startup. I've read that several times as well. So, well, PJ, thank you so much for your time. I've learned a lot. I'm rooting for Mob Vans. I wish you guys the best of luck that you guys scale and become a global company very soon. And yeah, like I'll be, you know, looking out for you guys. So thank you. And and same to you guys. I hope your podcast does well. I, I research your e-commerce, you know, uh, consulting business. I guess that's what I'm going to, I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but you know, I, I, so I've been involved in basically an e-commerce project since it's been possible. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just, you know, that's where, you know, Amazon, what are they, the biggest retailer on the planet right now? Um, you know, it's just such a huge thing and, um, and there's lots of ways to crack it. And I don't, you know, I don't even know if entrepreneurship exists without some form of e-commerce, except for in the kind of limited scale, uh, you know, scope of business to business stuff. You know, we sold software to businesses like the network security consulting. There's no e-commerce really component to that other than, you know, online sales brochures. So, um, but for consumer stuff, yeah, I mean, it's just, you have to have it, you know, even vehicles, expensive things, houses, everybody buys their house by looking on Zillow first. We're doing it right now. So um, yeah, e-commerce is, is huge. So yeah, good 100%, luck to you. 100%. Thank you so much, PJ, and have a great rest of your day. All right, guys, you too. Thanks. All right. Thanks, bye. PJ. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.